All right, we're going to get started here pretty shortly with our guest, Mary uh, Nickel, calling in. Um, I just want to say shout out to everybody who's here and um, participating in the ch chat and everyone who hit the heart button so that we can kind of build up some listeners here and everything like that. Um, I'm glad that you're all here tonight. And um, honestly, it means a lot that you're supporting this cause, um, that you're here um, to support uh, Mary and everything she's going to be talking about tonight. Um, so definitely, definitely give her a warm welcome to AMP. Um, I'd like to see some claps in that chat. Uh, welcome Mary Nickel to the AMP community tonight. Hello, it's Hello, so great it's so to great. be here. How's it going, Mary? Uh, not too bad. How are you? Doing good, doing good. I, I'm assuming it's been a very busy day for you so far, working for a nonprofit on Giving Tuesday. It has been an incredibly busy day, but you know, it's been busy in the best way. We've had just fantastic energy around the office as we see people really rising up with support and generosity. And it's always an opportunity, not just like to see people donate, but to hear other people share sort of why they care about this work. So that part of it is so energizing. Like it feels like that part of it, like hearing people's passion, their stories, why they care about it. That part of it really is like a way of giving back to us in a way that is honestly so encouraging heading towards the end of a year. So it's a full day, but it's one of my favorite days in any given year. And I think everybody on the Exodus Road staff would say the same thing. For sure. Like it's, um, there's a, with your guys' organization, there's a lot of bands involved. There's a lot of music involved. So it makes sense that, you know, uh, we'd share this, this cause and everything with that, like that, and a community here who are music lovers here on AMP. Um, you you do a lot of work in the music industry yourself. You want to tell us a little bit about that before we get into things about Exodus Road? Absolutely. So yeah, really being here with you feels like it's, you know, being home. Um, I have a long history in the music industry. I worked for many years with New Release Today, which is the largest Christian music website online. I managed their writing team for about seven years. Um, after that, I went and I started Rock on Purpose, which is a faith-based rock and metal website. Then I also co-founded the Grizzly Awards, which is an award show designed to really honor faith-based rock and metal because it wasn't really being honored elsewhere. Um, on top of that, I do a lot of PR for bands on a freelance basis. Um, I work with bands like Disciple, Lacey Sturm, Brian Head Welch, um, also with the sort of nonprofits adjacent to the music industry. I've done some work with the Whosoever's, with um, Sony from POD's Youth of the Nation Foundation. So really that intersection between purpose and rock and roll has been sort of the crossroads where I've lived my whole adult life. And really it's because music was a huge part of my own story growing up and as a teenager. So being with the Exodus Road is a really natural segue from that because of the fact that I worked with Remedy Drive many, many times over the years. And when they transformed their band into this vehicle for justice, I was pretty hooked immediately on the vision. So it's a little bit of my history with rock and roll. Oh, so you actually worked with Remedy Drive before the uh, before they got involved with Exodus Road. I did. So I listened to Remedy Drive just as a fan way back in, you know, like their daylight days, right? So over a, a decade ago now, which makes me feel old saying that, but I was a teenager the first couple of times I saw them play live and I was just kind of a fan, really. And then 
as I was moving into the music industry, I actually interned with the record label that they were signed to for a little bit. So I worked with them a little bit there. And then when I moved into more of the music journalism through New Release Today, we would promote their releases. Um, we had a pretty close working relationship with their publicist. So when in early 2014, Remedy Drive was starting to make this shift where the Exodus Road was really like in its infancy as a nonprofit and they had approached David and asked if maybe he would be interested in talking about the work. Um, their publicist set up a coffee meeting for me and a couple of my coworkers with David and he shared a little bit about this really new vision that he had. And then later that year when Commodity came out, I was invited to go to his house to direct a video series where we were re recording acoustic performances of some of the songs and then David was sharing the stories from his first couple deployments with the Exodus Road sort of in between the songs. And sitting in his living room listening to him share about these incredible girls that he was sitting across from and being heartbroken for, I was sort of drawn into the story, drawn into the adventure, drawn into the urgency behind it. So for the rest of my time, the music industry i was always finding ways to sort of amplify what he was doing until eventually it was like you know i've got to be a part of it i don't want to just talk about it anymore i want to be doing it and i'm so grateful that the exodus road has you know opened their doors to me and let me be their senior writer for almost two years now right I, that's so interesting to me that your start your story kind of starts with david zock because um where I was just talking about it before I played Commodity there. My my story with the Exodus Road and why I became interested in it with it and wanted wanted to do something with it in the future um, was because of David Zock actually as well. Because I worked a green room where uh, he was performing at an event. Um, it was a pretty small event um, at Walsh University um, near Canton, Ohio. And I, you know, was just doing kind of the green room thing, making sure that the sandwiches were restocked and mm -hmm. that sort of thing for the bands and the talent that was there that day. And most of the time when you work that type of thing, artists just ignore you. Um, you're just kind of the staff, if you will. But David was like, no, I'm going to have a conversation with you. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like, you know, kind of cornered me in a way while I was working in the green room and we just like talked for a couple hours about Exodus Road and all of all that they do. Um, if you were going to give kind of just before we get into kind of a music break here, if you were going to give your elevator pitch um, just to kind of sum up for anybody that's joining us now that might might, you know, um, come off the stream later or something like that, just the elevator pitch of what Exodus Road is and what it does. Yeah, so sort of our vision that we always say is a world in which humans are never bought, sold, or exploited, and that we disrupt the darkness of modern-day slavery by partnering with law enforcement, equipping communities, and empowering survivors as they walk into freedom. So what that means on a practical level is that we train and equip law enforcement and everyday citizens. We do investigations in support of law enforcement to identify trafficking situations and then intervene in those situations to recover victims. And then we are a part of empowering survivors through aftercare services, social work, um, trauma-informed therapy in order to assist and walk alongside them as they rebuild their lives. So that's the big picture. We have six countries of operation. We currently operate in the United States, 
India, Thailand, the Philippines, Brazil, and Latin America. So it's it's human trafficking. Um, it's a world problem. It exists all over the globe. Is um, is there like any particular places in the world where human trafficking is more prominent that you guys focus in on? Yeah, so it depends on the type of trafficking. Um, the Exodus Road historically has really focused on sex trafficking. We have also just recently really started um, sort of edging our way into labor trafficking as well in Brazil, but Historically, we focus on sex trafficking because of the fact that that's really rampant in Southeast Asia, which is where uh, Matt and Laura Parker, our founders, were living when they founded the Exodus Road. So there's a pretty massive sex tourism industry in Southeast Asia. So Thailand, um, the Philippines, places like this where people from Western nations will go specifically to buy sexual services, often from minors. And so it's really rampant there. And I also want to be clear when I'm saying this, that though it is really rampant there, it does happen in every single country in the world, as far as all the statistics and data tells us. But Southeast Asia, it is very rampant. Labor trafficking and like child marriage, which is another form of human trafficking, are really rampant in like Africa. Um, but again, it all happens everywhere. However, we have often targeted which countries we operate in based on need, which is why we operate in places like Thailand, places like India. India is a place that both labor and sex trafficking are extremely prevalent in part due to the social disparities between caste systems and impoverished individuals and how strongly the class system still really has a hold over that country. Um, and recently in the Philippines, for example, cyber exploitation of children has become a massive, massive part of their culture, unfortunately. So yeah, there are certain places where it's more rampant and it happens everywhere. So those two things have to be kind of held together. For sure. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Mary Nickel from Exodus Road. Um, she is going to share with us later in the show some more um, specific stories from the front lines of human trafficking um, some stories that kind of put a human face on this problem that just seems so rampant that it's hard to know how to tackle it. And we'll also talk about how people can help um, coming up next. Uh, we're going to do some music breaks here and there. Me and Mary, we worked on a little bit of a playlist together. Um, so Mary, if, if there's any songs that um, really stand out to you that you would like to comment on, feel free uh, to do that while we go through them. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and play She Said by John Foreman. Wonderful. Without a time I got to say, Mary, that the fact that you have such a history in the music industry and then also, you know, the fact that we want to talk about Exodus Road on this show and everything like that and that those two married so well into you know doing something on amp and that is like a music-based app and everything like that I, I just love that that worked out so well I know I know it feels like it was meant to be like honestly once I had a better sense of sort of what you do in the like community that you've become a part of here I was just like oh man this is so perfect like these are my people 
like again these are people who like totally get the kinds of things that my life is about so i'm just so grateful to be here and so grateful that you reached out yeah i hope that amp can be a tool for what you do in your work in the future with some of the artists you work with and and everything like that um so i hope we're you know kind of starting something here where you'll you'll be able to use that in the future and then i hope that you know maybe we're back here again next year to do this again um you know with a bigger with maybe even a bigger um audience and everything like that i'm gonna keep working at it and keep talking about exodus road throughout the year so we end up back here on giving tuesday again hopefully next year um i would love that i want to get into some of the you know more specific stories i know that you do a lot of the writing for the website so um, I've been reading some of the articles off the site, um, like November 4th, there was the three boys freed, um, having to do with the online stuff. Uh, there was the mm -hmm. three Venezuelan uh, teenagers freed on November 2nd, um, eight women freed on October 24th. Um, if you're interested in those articles, they're on Exodus Road's website. You can find them in the profile for anyone who's listening. But um, as somebody who writes these articles having to do with what the organization is doing on the front lines of human trafficking and everything like that. Um, what are some of the stories that, you know, can you share with us that are most impactful from, from this work? Yeah. So I like that you mentioned that one recently with three Venezuelan teenagers. I feel like that's one that has really been heavy on my heart recently um, for sort of, some context on what I do. I'm usually taking reports that come from the fields that our investigators write, and then I'm sifting through photos and case information and information about the survivors, and I'm redacting as appropriate and then writing the facts into a story that is true and that honors the survivors involved and honors our investigators while also protecting anonymity and protecting security and protecting our law enforcement partners. So sometimes we have the question of, okay, these stories are on your website, but they're not on the news. Well, actually they often are in the news, but where they are on the news, we actually very intentionally don't link to it because of the fact that we're trying to protect the security of everybody involved. And also a part of our sort of ethos as the Exodus Road is to really promote local law enforcement and local authorities, local teams, local social workers above ourselves. And so that's why sometimes there's that disconnect that people ask me about. Um, but this story specifically about the three Venezuelan teenagers, so that it was part of a bigger ongoing investigation and our team was asked by law enforcement to go into this really dangerous port city. Now, a lot of the times hubs for human trafficking are hubs where it's very, easy to move people in and out of buildings without like alerting any kind of suspicion. So port cities have a lot of transit happening already. That's the same thing as we see in the United States with like cities that are kind of on the axes of really big interstates. So in this particular port city, it was a massive, massive hub for both sex trafficking and drug trafficking. So the presence of drugs tends to mean that there's a pretty high presence of weaponry as well, which means that it was a very dangerous situation that our investigators are being asked to go into, but they were doing so with law enforcement support. So they went into this port city posing as people who were there to buy drugs or people who were there to buy sex. 
and they were investigating, working to build a case so that they could present evidence to law enforcement so that law enforcement could move on the case because law enforcement is not legally allowed to move on trafficking situations unless they have very, very specific evidence, which is different for every single country. So our investigators were working to gather that evidence and while they were doing that, they were in a taxi and in this taxi, the driver actually offered them basically a menu of minor girls for sexual services. So they literally weren't even looking for these girls specifically. It was just that in the course of being in that environment, they came across it. And so they immediately felt like it was something they needed to respond to. So he, um, just, he just casually opens up like like a like a foldable menu with women's pictures or little girls' pictures? Yes, and actually I just returned a couple of weeks ago from a trip to Southeast Asia and while I was there I saw some of these because some of the motorcycle taxi drivers had them in their in their cabs and I would be just you know catching a ride with a coworker and they're basically like I mean like laminated papers like it literally looks like a menu but it's pictures of these these teenage girls usually sometimes a little younger sometimes a little older and then it'll have a list of the kinds of services you can buy from them with prices, which is insanely dehumanizing. You know, it just feels staggering to see. And that's what was in this taxi. And the, in this case, the taxi driver actually like overtly offered it to them. That's, um, that's crazy. That really paints the picture of how rampant it is in certain parts of the world where they're that bold to, to do things like that. Um, but I'll let you get back to the rest of that story. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That if I feel like it was, again, even for me experiencing it for the first time, it felt just staggering that that's actually like reality. And that was the case as well for, again, in this city where drug trade was so rampant and sex trafficking was so rampant that there was really no fear at all on behalf of the trafficker because nobody had ever really done anything about it before. But our investigators, fortunately, were going to do something about it, right? So they worked and they like were managed to set up what we call um, a test buy where they had arranged to ostensibly buy time with these girls. Um, and once they had evidence of that captured, police were able to move on it. And so they extracted these teenagers who were all not from the country. This was an undisclosed Latin American country. And all of these three teenage girls were actually from Venezuela. And that's the case a lot of the time in Latin America because Venezuela is very unstable right now, economically and politically. So you have teenage girls fleeing into other countries who then get ensnared by traffickers. So we were able to extract those teenage girls. And actually we don't even have this published yet, but we were just able to recover multiple more from this same city because of the groundwork that they were laying at the time when they removed these three girls. So that's an, another thing is that a lot of the time these cases lead into each other. So when you have a case where you do all the groundwork to figure out, okay, what does this trafficking operation look like? Who's in charge? Who's being offered? What does the supply chain look like? You can chase that thread once you've arrested one trafficker or once you've freed one girl and often find more. So I believe it was six more teenage girls that were just freed in a, the last couple of weeks. And that story is going to be on the site probably before the end of the next month. Yeah, that kind of answers the question for Virtual, who was um, commenting in the chat about the process and what you guys go through. 
in all of these um, investigations and what the full process is. Um, does Do most of the investigations kind of look like that where it seems that they lead one, you know, into other trafficking um, networks and whatnot, because it seems as though there's kind of a criminal network to um, the human trafficking in these places. So it does vary a little bit, but most of the time, yes, there's sort of like an interconnectedness. So in particular in Latin America, very often we're talking big criminal syndicates. We're talking organized crime. And so that's a case where very frequently cases are related, so they're going to lead into each other. Versus sometimes in India, it's like big organized crime syndicates like that or interconnected brothels, but then sometimes it's just an individual. And that's true as well in Thailand, I would say, where occasionally it's big syndicates, but very often it's one individual who is just trafficking, you know, like a handful of individuals at a time. And so in those cases, it's not necessarily going to be as interconnected where one is going to lead to another. Um, in India, we actually also just had a case where there was a case that we worked in September where investigators pursued leads. Um, they delivered evidence to law enforcement. Law enforcement acted, but one of the traffickers got away. So using the evidence that they had collected, they kept pursuing this trafficker, and that led them to just last week arresting 12 more traffickers. So a case like that, it's like, again, tracking down these leads. But then you have something like a digital exploitation case where it's almost always one individual working on their own. And usually investigation for that, you know, our teams never have to leave their office. They stay in their office. They piece together a full picture of the exploitation that's happening based on social media, based on the dark web, based on uh, dating sites, and then they deliver that target package to police and then police act. And again, often we don't ever actually end up being on site for cases like that. So it does vary a little bit, but I would say that wherever possible, we're asking the question, is this like a bigger system? Is this like a network or a web? And how can we actually address it systemically so that we're not just sort of like pulling the heads off of weeds versus pulling them out by the roots. Well, that's what I was going to say, because it's such a large problem around the world. You're talking about millions of people who are being trafficked um, on, on a daily basis. It can be, it can seem kind of a daunting problem. Um, even if you're doing any work to free um, a few people here and there, um, can that, you know, like, can that be overwhelming at times? Oh, it absolutely can be. And I think that's sort of what I said about the, at the beginning about, you know, hearing people's hearts for this work and being encouraged by it. You know, we really need that encouragement because it can get so discouraging sometimes to see the scope of the problem. Like on my recent trip to Asia, I think I had a lot of both and moments where I was like, I believe in this work more than I ever have before. And I understand why it's needed more than ever before. And it's like, you know, Remedy Drive says in their song, Starlight, which is a reference to Bono, this idea of tearing a little corner off the darkness. It feels like that might be the most we can ever do is a tiny little corner off the darkness. We can't like eradicate the entire thing maybe in our lifetimes, but is it still worth tearing that little corner off? And I like to believe yes. And also when you're walking through a red light district, seeing literally dozens and dozens of young women and knowing that there's no way we could ever ethically, legally, safely extract all of them, that's a really painful, heavy weight to carry. 
And so like being willing to carry the weight of that discouragement on the road towards hope is a part of the work. It's a part of the job that we're asked to do. And it's a part of showing up. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. You know, it's kind of like when, you know, when somebody works as a doctor, you have to like get used to this idea that you can't save everyone at a certain point in your career. It's usually early on, you know, you have to just get used to that fact, but then you can't also give up in trying and doing your best to keep, you know, like you said, peeling back that little bit of the darkness. Um, Soul Music 84 in the chat says, what can we do in our own communities to prevent and reduce human trafficking? Um, That's a pretty good question that I hadn't really thought about. Um, You know, like I, I thought about how we could support Exodus Road through, you know, donating to the organization. You know, we've got that link in the chat and everything like that. But what about our own communities and the human trafficking that might be happening around us? Because um, I'm, I'm originally from Ohio. I live in Pennsylvania now, but Ohio is one of the top states for human trafficking in the United States. Like you said earlier uh, in the show, sometimes it's just about being that hub for trafficking because of highways and interstates and how you know how logistically the highway comes through your state. Um, your state can end up being um, you know a high area for human trafficking, and that's the case for Ohio. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I absolutely do. And I love that they asked that. Um, that's such an important question to be asking because I think even just that willingness is the first huge step that a lot of people aren't even willing to ask that question. So one of the first things that's helpful is just to be aware of the major warning signs. Um, the Exodus Road has a course that's actually 100% free. It's like two 20-minute videos. It's called Traffic Watch. And you can find that at theexodusroad.com slash traffic watch. But the big thing is, knowing warning signs like, you know, is there a kid who seems to have excessive amounts of absences from school? Or is there like a young adult who all of a sudden has a radical change in behavior where they're acting really sexualized or where they have really expensive gifts without like a job to pay for them and it's not immediately clear where they came from? Or is there a young adult who has a much older boyfriend or girlfriend And once again, it really seems like it was a very sudden relationship that's escalated very quickly. Um, Other things are like unexplained bruises or injuries or branding or tattoos of people's names. Those can be some common signs as well. So continuing to educate yourself on what human trafficking actually looks like in your community, because it is a little bit different place to place, can be a great place to start. And then the other thing that I always tell people is that the best way to prevent human trafficking is to find the people who are most likely to be trafficked and then to be a part of a support system that prevents that exploitation. So some of the groups that are most at risk of trafficking in the United States include the homeless population, foster kids, LGBTQ youth, um, minorities, like anybody who has kind of been historically, like kind of on the outskirts, they tend to be the ones who are most likely to be trafficked. So especially if you have young people in your life who fit in any of those communities, just showing up and befriending them and asking them questions, figuring out what they need, being there for them and present for them, that is actually a way to prevent trafficking because especially when it comes to foster youth and runaway youth, that is the demographic most at risk of trafficking in the United States. So if there's any kind of way that you can show up for kids who are part of those groups in your life, that is human trafficking prevention right there. No, that's 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 amazing advice. 
Um, I love that you asked that question in the chat. Um, keep the questions coming in the chat. It's a great way to interact with the show. I'm sorry that we don't have a lot of time today because we're going to uh, be losing Mary here at 8 o'clock. Um, so I haven't been taking any call-ins. Um, we'll take some call-ins later if people want to come up, kind of share their reactions and whatnot. We're going to take a little bit of a music break here um, and play another song by Remedy Drive since we've been talking about them and David Zock um, so much in this first half here. So we're going to go ahead and play um, Express in Exile by Remedy Drive. Yes, unfortunately, Mary, when we try to share links in the chat, um, it censors them here on AMP, um, which is probably a good thing. They like to keep, you know, personal information censored and everything. But right now, since it's new, it's a little overactive on that. So we'll we'll get that link for everybody. Um, I do have the link to Exodus Road's website in my profile, in my link tree, um, so you can find the course through their website there. But I'll add another link um, later tonight specifically to that course if people are looking for that later. Um, so that way we have a direct link to that. Um, that was Empress in Exile by Remedy Drive. That single just dropped. Was that November 18th? I believe so, yes. Okay, I, I'm trying to know music things. <laughs> but I sometimes get my dates mixed up. So I'm pretty sure that one just dropped. That is another way you can support Exodus Road and support the cause is by streaming Remedy Drive, um, buying an album from Remedy Drive. Everything that they do, they give back to Exodus Road a, a certain percentage of everything that they do in sales and everything like that. And of course, David Zock um, participates in some of the undercover work that Exodus Road does. Um, I remember a while back, um, we were talking about kind of before the music break there, we were talking about kind of how it can be um, difficult to see all of the problem and wanting to be part of the solution. And it can be disheartening at times. Um, I remember David Zock posting some stuff, some updates about his work with Exodus Road on social media and talking about a case where um, they had identified the traffickers. They were going to perform a sting working with the local pol police. They basically were like ready to take this place down. And someone from the police tipped off the traffickers and they got away with the victims. Um, how often does that happen? And um, what do you do in a situation like that? I'm so glad you brought that up because the reality is that that happens a lot. Um, there have been a couple just really gut-wrenching moments where, you know, months of planning and effort went into sort of coordinating these huge operations. And then at the last minute, somebody tipped it off. Um, and that's such a gut-wrenching moment for our investigative team in particular. Like this is something that happens in some countries more often than others. And that's part of why we've come to really value trusted law enforcement partners. You know, we have people in each of our countries of operation 
who have been partners for a very long time who we know we can trust but the reality is the bigger an operation the more people have to be involved and the more likely it is that unfortunately somebody is on a traffickers payroll so this is something that happens i mean i would say probably for every like successful operation like for every maybe three or four successful operations you hear about there might be one that got tipped off that you'll never hear about because unfortunately it didn't happen now that said this is part of why i have so much profound respect for our investigators because a lot of the times even when something gets tipped off they rally they regroup they say okay what leads do we have that might still be used to figure out where they fled to what contacts might we have that haven't been compromised or burned? How do we move on? Um, and also, you know, sometimes that includes asking, okay, what partners do we know that we can trust? Is there somebody else in law enforcement who we can go to with this and ask to get involved who we know is not going to tip it off? So you have cases like that um, all the time, but you also have our investigators, good, trustworthy police partners persisting anyway. So we, for example, recently had a case in India where somebody on the police force was corrupt. They tipped off the traffickers. There had been this operation planned where they were going to be hitting five different hotels simultaneously. So even with the tip off, they still were able to hit like last minute having to rush because they had to speed up basically before traffickers vacated all five hotels. They still got to three and they still were able to recover, I believe, nine victims from those situations. So it's one of those things where really flexibility and the ability to pivot has been something that we've had to learn as an organization over time. Um, we're lucky enough to have experts working on our investigative teams in each of these countries who have sort of like learned the lay of the land and like learned sort of how to have that gut feeling and intuition of when maybe something isn't right. Um, and also, again, just develop those relationships with people we can trust. But unfortunately, corruption is always going to be a part of this fight. And so that's one of those things that you just have to know going in. And that's true in the United States as well. Unfortunately, you know, it's often the people who should be the ones helping are the ones hurting. And that is also, I will say, one of my passions is trauma-informed care for survivors of trafficking. And so understanding that law enforcement officers might have been some of the people doing the harming is part of how we partner with survivors, like having social workers present so that they don't have to only be interacting with police officers who they don't know if they're safe or not, because they might have had police officer clients before. So having people on hand who are not law enforcement, who won't be re-traumatizing for them, is another way that we make sure to still sort of maintain the integrity of our operation through really corrupt and difficult and complex environments. Kind of going with that theme, um, Soul Music 84 asks in the comments, um, do you have any like red tape that you kind of run into uh, more on the legal side of things? Um, they're saying, for example, I know military bases that have been busted for human trafficking, but the military falls under a different jurisdiction. Are there challenges with that? The short answer is yes. Um, there are definitely challenges with that. And it's different in every single country. It's different in every like state in every single country or province. Um, really, that's what makes expanding so slow. Um, if we didn't care about doing things ethically and legally, that'd be one thing, but we really do. And so that means like figuring out, okay, in this particular climate, 
how are we going to have to do this? And so we always have um, what are called MOUs, Memorandums of Understanding, with law enforcement and government officials in every area we're going to operate in. And that process of establishing that includes negotiating how can we help you in a way that's actually what you need and what is out of line for us to be doing. So we have that kind of set as ground rules going in from the beginning. We are always very intensely collaborative with officials. We don't ever want to be going rogue. Like I love Batman, but Batman is not the way to fight human trafficking. Um, that can create as many problems as it solves or more often. So we are really working closely with officials to like understand that in advance. Sometimes red tape might include situations where we can do like sort of investigative work in advance, but we can't actually be on site during a raid. That might be one thing that might be included. Um, sometimes it would be like not even things we can't do, but things we have to do. Like they're depending on the area, sometimes the burden of proof is higher. So sometimes the kind of evidence that we have to capture in order for law enforcement to be able to move in a very specific area has to be very, very robust. Um, so it really does just depend on the area and figuring that out. But yes, there's absolutely red tape and it's frustrating. And also it's really important to us as an organization to honor that. And because usually the red tape exists for a reason. Um, and even if it doesn't exist for a reason, you know, we really try and give law enforcement the benefit of a doubt because they have often been doing this for a lot longer than we have. For sure, for sure. Now that makes a lot of sense to, you know, like you don't want to burn bridges with your law enforcement um in in any situation you want to keep that bridge open as much as possible so that they keep inviting you in to help you know do this work and um keep investigating uh just for people in the chat because we're talking about um all these different things about exodus road more on exodus road um there is a link in my profile here on amp and then also over on instagram if you don't catch that um, today, you know, essentially we've got the first link, which is the link to donate um, the campaign that I've been doing for the last month to, you know, bring donations um, in for Exodus Road. Uh, that link is the first link in there. And then the second link is more information about human trafficking from Exodus Road's website. Um, always do your research on any organization that you're going to donate to online. Um, I definitely trust Exodus Road. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it's always a good idea to do your research before donating to anything. So definitely check them out. Um, read some of these stories on there and whatnot. We have about 10 minutes left, Mary. So I'm not going to take any more music breaks and we can kind of um, freeform out the rest of the show here. I don't know if there's any more specific stories you'd like to share from the field, anything um, personal to you that you'd like to share, or if um, maybe we get some more questions in the comments and we'll add those um, in as well. Um, shout out to Ample Influencers. I see you guys in the chat. Yeah, so if anybody has any questions, I'd be glad to answer. But otherwise, something I'd really love to share about is our aftercare home. You know, a lot of what we've been talking about has been sort of what we call intervention, which is the investigating and then intervening in situations of human trafficking that are actively happening. But something that's really happened in the past two years is that we've wanted to expand into both 
prevention, which is this education angle, and also aftercare, which is caring for and empowering survivors after they've been removed from a trafficking situation. So that dream kind of came to fruition. Almost exactly a year ago in Thailand, we opened our very first aftercare facility, which is called Freedom Home, and it specifically serves adult women survivors of exploitation. And when I say adult, specifically they're taking between the ages of 18 and 25, because in Thailand, a lot of the time, government facilities will only accept survivors until they're 18, and then they're considered aged out, and there are very few services available once you hit 18. So Freedom Home is located in an area that's near to some of like the most sort of well-trafficked red light districts in Thailand. So it's located nearby, but removed enough that survivors can feel safe. And it's specifically designed to be a residential home for them. And so while they're living there, it's not like they're locked in. It's not like it's anything like that. It's literally just a house. It's in a neighborhood. And while they're there, they receive trauma-informed counseling. They receive medical care. They receive business training. And they receive any like life skills training they might have missed. Like if they haven't finished their high school education, we support them in getting their high school like degree finish. And then we've also been supporting several through like college classes as well. Um, really, we individualize it to what individual people need. So several of them have their kids there with them because it's very, very common for survivors to have children. So we right now have seven residents at Freedom Home, three of whom have kids with them. Um, and while they're there, really, we are just supporting them in their reshaping of their future. You know, one of the first questions that they get asked when they come to Freedom Home is, what do you want to do? And a lot of them immediately break down crying because nobody has ever asked them what they want to do before. It's always been about what they have to do. They've never been given a choice. They've never had that simple human decency extended to them. So while I was in Asia um, at the beginning of this month, I had a chance to go there, which was a really, really incredible opportunity for me as somebody who cares a lot about trauma-informed care. And I had the chance to just sit with these girls and get to know them a little bit and hear their stories and some of their dreams. And um, one of them got to spend some time with her five-year-old daughter, who is an absolute precious little light. Um, and the kids, while they're there, are also receiving counseling and are also receiving skills as, and medical care, whatever they need to heal. And really, the entire environment is just this really welcoming, sort of family-oriented space where the survivors sort of become sort of surrogate sisters to each other, where they're able to practice safe relationships where before they existed in a world where everybody was out to use them. So seeing that come to fruition has been just incredibly powerful for us in the past year as an organization. And it's a model that we plan to duplicate in each of our countries of operation. And I think we're kind of well on our way to doing that. We have aftercare partners in other countries already that we really support. Um, wherever we can like financially and with social workers and with any practical resources we can but this was our first actual entirely the exodus road run and staffed aftercare home and it's just been such a powerful thing to see the hope that there is in this fight that you know it's not just the tragic stories that you run into walking through a red light district that it's also these beautiful beautiful young women and their kids building a new life for themselves against all odds. It's their resilience, it's their hope, it's their skills. Um, and that part of it is, I think, so important for understanding why this matters too. 
So that's something that has been really new and that if people wanted to know any more about that, like you can go to the exodusroad.com slash beyond rescue, which is where we sort of lay out our programs for aftercare. But for me personally, I think that has been the most powerful thing about being in the field was actually, was actually interacting. Yeah, I can imagine like all the disheartening parts about this work, um, you know, seeming like the problem is so big and that it's so difficult to, you know, take on and, and everything like that. But then seeing people thriving and getting to live in freedom for the first time, um, that really, I'm sure, really cements it in that this is good work. Because like, even if you can save like one or two or three people from the darkness, at, at the end of the day, it's worth it to see that afterwards. So that that's an amazing, that's an amazing thing to be able to see people, um, you know, really thriving. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, I think it's like that kind of moment that takes this from being an issue and makes it about people, right? Like it's no longer just sort of this big social problem that maybe we'll never fully like repair in our lifetimes. All of a sudden it's people. It's these little girls, it's these young women, it's their stories, it's the way that their eyes light up when they talk about the peace and the freedom that they've found through being in this safe space. And that really is what it's all about. And that's where the hope lies. Awesome. Um, Caesar, I see your uh, comments in the chat there. Um, Caesar, uh, by the way, congratulations on that AMP Influencers co-hosting on Saturday, you did an amazing job. So shout out to you and thanks, thanks for letting me plug the the show today on that show. Um, but he's he's asking, um, he's saying he's from Venezuela and it pains him because it gets worse every day due to the cir circumstances that are happening right now in the country. Um, Venezuela. Do you guys do a lot of work in Venezuela? I know there was the one story that I pointed out earlier from the site. Um, is that is that a country you guys do a lot of work in? So we work quite a bit in neighboring countries, some of which I can't name for security reasons. But because of the fact that we're working in neighboring countries, we do a lot of work very specifically with Venezuelan teenage girls because they are very, very frequently people who we are finding in these situations of exploitation, unfortunately, like, I'm so sorry to hear that you're having to observe that in your own country. I know that has to be so painful. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's Venezuela, it's the United States, it's everywhere around the world. Um, there has been touched by human trafficking and sex trafficking to a certain degree. Um, it's amazing to hear some of the stories, you know, like there was um, in the news about people being freed from human trafficking. I, I remember there was a ring up in Michigan a year ago that was, um, that people um, were freed from human trafficking and um, people brought to justice for, you know, doing that. So it, it definitely happens everywhere. And it's in the news about just about every place on the globe has been touched by human trafficking in some way. So it is definitely a global issue. Um, I think that sometimes here in the United States, we we kind of have this false sense of security that it doesn't happen here. That sort of thing doesn't happen here, but it it for sure it for sure does. Does 
How, how much work does the Exodus Road do in the United States? So that's a great thing for us to actually like end our time on because that's a big part of what we're talking about on Giving Tuesday. We historically have mostly only done sort of like education in the United States, but we have just launched a whole team of cyber investigators who are using cutting edge technology to piece together human trafficking case files from available data on social media sites, dating sites, the dark web, and then deliver actionable, ev actionable evidence to law enforcement so that they can pursue these cases. So this is a brand new initiative for us, and that's actually this Giving Tuesday. What we're really fundraising to support is this new, highly skilled team of investigators who are using technology right here in the United States to find trafficking victims and support law enforcement in inter intervening. And we already have seen some really strong case files built in just like, it's literally been a matter of months. And I know that with sort of this incredible support of the Exodus Roads community, we're gonna keep seeing that momentum growing to hopefully continue expanding our US investigations. Well, that's really awesome. It makes a lot of sense um, using technology and um, to combat, you know, these types of things all around the world. Um, I'm going to let you go, Mary, because I know you've got a busy day and there's a lot more you've got going on this afternoon um, that you've got to run off to. Um, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a goal of mine jumping on this app to have these types of conversations and invite more people on that are doing good work um, like Exodus Road is doing, like you are doing. Um, I hope to have you back on in the future, um, whether that's to talk about Exodus Road, whether or not that's to talk about maybe uh, one of my favorite artists, uh, Lacey, that it seems like you've done some work with. I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that in the future. Yeah, thank you so much again for having me. And I would love to be back in the future. And I'm so appreciative of everybody's thoughtful questions and just everyone who's tuned in and been a part of this tonight. Um, really, really grateful. Awesome. Well, I'm going to let you sign off. I'm going to keep the call-in feature on. So if anybody wants to kind of call in, um, either give some reactions to the show, um, keep the discussion going, talk about some things that you might have related to. Um, we're going to play some music. We're going to hang out for a little while here and um, just kind of, kind of take it all in. So uh, thanks a lot, Mary. And, um, you know, if, if you guys want to follow Mary here on AMP, um, get her a little bit of a following for, I'm sure there'll be some content coming from her in the future, as well as jump over to Instagram, follow her on Instagram. Um, Exodus Road on Instagram is a great follow if uh, you want some updates on their work. They post whenever there is a new story about um, people that they've saved from human trafficking. And that's always great to see, especially if you are making a donation. And then, of course, in the link, we do have the link to their website. If you'd like to do some more research on the organization, as well as that link where we have been taking donations for Exodus Road uh, to try to reach a goal here on AMP. Um, with the, every, the community here on AMP. So please check out all those things out. Um, and uh, thanks a lot for your time, Mary. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great night.
Well, thank you everybody for tuning in today. Um, it's been amazing that so many people came to listen to the show today. Honestly, it's just been a goal of mine from the get-go to try to have something of this sort, conversations that are worth having and having over and over again um, was kind of a theme that I wanted to run with. You know, we had to start with the music and kind of build up to that. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping in the future that this can be a monthly thing that we have people on the show that are doing this ama doing amazing work in the world. Um, so for now, if anybody has anybody that they would like to kind of nominate, um, I have a idea for a series that I'm hoping to start in the new year, which, um, for me, it has kind of a religious background and everything like that. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be folks who are Christian or religious or whatnot that we're going to talk to. Um, but I find that as a Christian and sharing, you know, ideas with other Christians, you find that a lot of people get bogged down with like the Ten Commandments side of things. And they're like, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. But there's a lot of things in the gospel that we're told we should do, like feed the hungry, clothe the naked, um, visit the imprisoned. So my goal is to kind of take that list of should do things that we're supposed to be doing and kind of creating a series about that, um, bringing people on the show that are exemplifying every one of those aspects. So if you know somebody who does prison ministry and visits the imprisoned, um, I want them on the show. I want to talk to them. I think it's going to be easy to find people who are clothing the naked, feeding the hungry. But overall, we're going to try to dive into that Matthew 25 um, versus the Sermon on the Mount and all those things that we're told we should be doing and, you know, kind of diving into those things. Because I feel like so often... Um, Christians, they preach at people about what they shouldn't be doing. Um, the whole time they're not doing the things they should be doing. So that's the goal. Um, I hope that we can have some more people on the show. Um, even if you, if you as a listener, somebody who is here on AMP um, is involved in an organization, you want to tell us about that. You even want to nominate yourself to kind of be on for one of those things. I'm still getting it organized. No guarantees of how that's going to go so far, but that's the idea. That's where I'm hoping this is headed and everything like that. Um, but for now, I appreciate you guys coming in kind of into the first conversation that I've been able to host here on the app. I'm, I'm pretty rusty as far as, it, as far as it goes, being a interviewer and everything like that. So I kind of was just, you know, going off the cusp, mostly letting Mary talk since we only had the hour to kind of hear all the things that she has to say and everything like that. So I think that went pretty well and I recorded it. Hopefully that recording came out okay and we'll be able to upload that as kind of a podcast for people who didn't catch it or want to listen in later. So for now, I'm going to keep playing some music. If anybody wants to kind of offer some thoughts about what we heard from Mary today, um, you know, about human trafficking, any personal stories that people have when it comes to this issue, 
or anything like that, you can always call in, share those on the show. I'm just going to stick around till nine o'clock and then I'm going to jump off and listen to some of the other folks here on AMP tonight. So I just want to stick around, see if anybody has any thoughts in between some music here. <laughs> 